papers that are in the sleeve there that if, if you'd like to take one of those and write down a prayer request and put it on the, the side of the offering box that's on the back walls there, you, uh, you can be rest assured that we'll have, we have folks that will be praying for you and I wanna, we just want to be able to find out ways we can encourage you and, and uh, we're just glad you're worshiping with us today. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to join me in the book of Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20. We've been um, studying Jeremiah now for several weeks, and I said last week we were kind of making the turn out of some of the, uh, some of the discouraging parts, the, the heavy parts of Jeremiah. And uh, we talked about the, uh, the human heart um, and the second week and just the condition of the human heart apart from Jesus Christ is in a, in a desperate situation. We talked last, or two weeks ago, Hunter shared with us about uh, how the human heart is so prone to d- be drawn towards idolatry, drawn away from God. We talked last week. A number of years, and eventually Tom Hanks' character uh, catches um, Frank, and he is sentenced. Frank is sentenced to twelve years in prison. He gets occasional visits from Carl, and Carl begins to to let him in on some of the the personal details of his life. But Carl cuts a deal with the government and gets uh, works it out so that Frank can come and work for the government to help catch other people like himself. And, and that's, that's a true story, and, and that's exactly what happened. But after a short time of this, uh, Frank gets the itch to be on the run again. And if you've seen the movie, uh, you know that there's a scene right towards the end where Frank takes off, and Carl catches up with him in the airport. Frank is going to impersonate a pilot one last time to just get away and get away from the FBI and this, this new life that he's having trouble settling into. And Carl uh, begins, um, when he catches up to, them, to him there at the Dulles Airport, begins walking several paces behind him. And, and the FBI agent warns Frank that if he keeps running, he's going to get caught and likely spend the rest of his life in prison. Besides, Carl tells him, you spent four years trying to arrange your release and convincing the FBI and the attorney general that Frank wouldn't run. Frank is actually surprised to see Carl because Carl had told him that, that he'd be out of town visiting his young daughter who was away on a ski trip. And there's these, this exchange that I think is very poignant. Frank turns to Carl and he said, wait a minute, you said your daughter was four years old. Ski trip? You're lying. And Carl, the FBI agent, says, well, she was four when I left. 
Now she's 15. My wife's been remarried for 11 years, and I see grace every now and again. Frank says, I, I don't understand. Carl says, sure you do. Sometimes it's just easier living a lie. You see, Carl had been chasing Frank for a life of lies, but Carl, in his own right, had been living a lie, creating this scenario as a family man when in reality he had walked out on his family. See, Jeremiah was a man, a prophet, who refused to live a lie. He was a man who knew what it was like to be honest with God. And I think that there are some things that we can learn from his life and ministry and his relationship with God that could speak, hopefully, profoundly to our own walk with God. You see, we said at the outset, God had revealed to Jeremiah that this was going to be a difficult ministry. Jeremiah wasn't stupid. He grew up in a priestly family. He knew the life of prophets. He knew how things went for prophets. And things never went very well. And so Jeremiah, just as he knew they would, uh, experienced profound difficulty and loss and abandonment. Apart from people not believing his message, he had enemies that opposed him at every turn. At times they mocked him and laughed at him. In Jeremiah 26, we see that they threatened to kill him. In Jeremiah 37, we see that he's in prison. Jeremiah 38, he was thrown into a deep pit. One of those difficulties, those those wearisome and painful trials occurs here in chapter 20. So we're going to read the first few verses, give us a little bit of the, the narrative background, and then we see Jeremiah's reply. We're going to read the whole chapter here. So if you found Jeremiah chapter 20, we're going to begin in verse 1. It says, Now Pashur the priest, the son of Immer, who was the chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then Pasher beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. The next day when Pashur released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord does not call your name Pashur, but terror on every side. So Jeremiah begins to prophesy against Pashur in the coming destruction that awaits him. And I want to just skip down to verse 7 where Jeremiah responds to God. After this experience of being beaten, being in prison, this is how Jeremiah speaks to God. O oh Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You're stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I've become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For wherever I speak, whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become to me a reproach and a derision all day long. If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart as it were a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in. I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Denounce him. Let us denounce him, say all my close friends, watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived, then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed. 
for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear his cry in the morning and an alarm at noon, because he did not kill me in the womb. So my mother would have been my grave and my womb forever great. Why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow, to spend my days in shame? <laughs> you can see that Jeremiah was a man with many ups and downs, many, uh, just a wild ride of emotional experiences. But as we think about this passage, I, I want us to just see several things. I think you're going to speak into our life. The first thing we see just simply is that Jeremiah was honest with God. Jeremiah was brutally honest with God. He shared what was on his heart. He makes this complaint in verse, uh, verses 7 through 10. He says, oh Lord, you have deceived me and I was deceived. You're stronger than I and you have prevailed that word deceived me, or that's the Hebrew word translated deceived me here, it can be translated in a variety of ways. It can mean deceived, seduced, duped, you made a fool of me. It occurs elsewhere in context implying enticing in a wrong or a dangerous direction involving some kind of deception. Jeremiah boldly proclaims to God, you've not been forthright with me. Jeremiah, just, it's on his heart. He feels misled. He's just come out of, out of prison and another beating. He feels so alone. And he says, God, where are you? And, and why are you leading me astray? He says, wherever I go, verse 8, my message is this, violence and destruction. That's all, I, that's all I ever talk about, God. That's the only message you give me, is bad news. No wonder I'm a laughingstock. No wonder I don't have any friends. Everyone mocks me. And he says, even if I decide I'm going to keep my mouth shut, and I'm going to stop doing this, he says, your words are in me as a, as a fire in my bones. And I, I can't stop speaking about them. Like, I can't back out of this now. I'm, I'm in. I'm here, God, but where are you? You ever felt like that with God? You ever wondered if God... Is there? You ever been able to just unload with God? Jeremiah, 
He realized that it's folly to try to hide from God, to hold back. So he shares what's on his heart and mind. And Jeremiah was in good company. You know, we, we often gloss over these pages because they, they feel uncomfortable to us. Like, it's like, easy, Jeremiah, you shouldn't be talking like that. But, but, but there are many others we read about in Scripture who spoke their heart to God. Men like Moses, David, Job, Elijah. Remember even Mary and Martha when Lazarus died? And Jesus shows up, in their opinion, way too late to the scene. Both of them, not just one of them, both of them on separate instances when they're alone with Jesus. He said, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. You can't read that account without hearing the emotion choking through their voices. This was their brother. And they're looking at the Son of God in the face and saying, where were you when I needed you? And that's Jeremiah's cry here. God, I'm doing your work. And I feel like you've abandoned me. I feel like even worse, he says, I feel like you have deceived me. You've not been forthright with me, God. These aren't the only this isn't the only passage where Jeremiah speaks like this, just to mention a couple others. Jeremiah 12.1, he says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the wicked, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all those who are treacherous thrive? Jeremiah 14.9, he says, Why should you be to me, why should you be like a man confused, addressing God? like a mighty warrior who cannot save. Jeremiah 15, 18, he says, Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? When you read these verses, does it it make you squirm a little bit? That Jeremiah can talk to God this way. You see, I think it makes us squirm a little bit because for many of us, we feel like we've got to clean everything up before we come to God. And we've got we've to formulate our prayers in a spiritual sounding way. Just talking about it with the worship team this morning, but uh, have you ever been in a church where uh, someone uh, is asked to pray in, in public, and when they pray, they immediately resort to King James English. Like, they, they speak, you know, 21st century English, but all of a sudden, then when it comes to praying in public, they resort to uh, Shakespearean language, these and thous. Like, we feel like we've got to put on this, this masquerade before God, and Jeremiah just blows that all up. And not only, I mean, he doesn't even tell us how to pray. We're just reading about his example. And he comes to God and says, God, this is all messed up. I wonder this morning, are are you able to be honest with God like that? Can you come and pour out your heart before God? Or do you feel like you've got to shape your words in such a way that, 
makes things look better than the way they are in your life. That you're experiencing more joy and happiness than what you really are. Can you be brutally honest with God about your disappointments, your hurts? You see, one of the reasons that, I think there's several reasons that we have trouble being honest with God. I think one reason is some, maybe we feel like he can't handle it. I, I don't know why, but maybe we feel like we don't want to hurt his feelings, that we're, we're supposed to be better than what we are and want to put on that, that show. And, and so we come with these pretenses. Or maybe, maybe we're just hiding. Maybe we just don't, don't really want that honesty with God. I'll go through the motions of my devotions, I'll, I'll pray this rote prayer, I'll go through my prayer list, but all the while, my heart is never exposed to God. What's really going on, my sin, my sorrow, my pain, my suffering, it's never revealed to God. We keep this neat, tidy relationship. He loves me from a distance, I worship Him from a distance. You see, that's not the way things are supposed to be. Jeremiah didn't know anything about Hebrews. He was still standing on the, the, the B.C. side of the cross. But yet he knew that he could be honest before God. Hebrews tells us that we can enter the throne room of God boldly. That we can come and lay before him. Not just ask for bold things, big things but to boldly share our heart. When at any point in the Bible have you read a story where God was happy when His people stood afar off? God longs for us to draw near, and that means bringing our complaints, our hurts, our disappointments. Now, some of you may be thinking about Job, and you may remember the end of the story with Job, the, the end of the book, the last couple of chapters, God enters the scene. And if you're not familiar with, with the book of Job, Job is about a man who, who experiences profound suffering. His friends are convincing him that he's, he's suffering as a result of sin. And Job and his friends throughout the, throughout the majority of the book are having this conversation where Job is, is uh, gradually digging his heels in more and more, saying, listen, I didn't do anything wrong here. But what, what begins initially as this search for understanding as to why he's experiencing suffering devolves into this self-righteous posturing before God to where he's puffed out his chest by the end of his monologues saying, I don't deserve this, and you are wrong for doing this, God. Does anybody remember what God's first words are when he begins to speak towards the end of the book? My favorite lines in all the scriptures. Who is this who darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? And he proceeds over the next couple of chapters to undress Job and just lay him bare who are you to talk like this? And maybe we read that story and we think, I'm, uh, listen, I've, I've got to be careful what I say around God. I don't want to get the Job rebuke. I don't want to get the Job treatment here. 
The difference between Job and Jeremiah was a matter of their heart. You see, Job got to a place where he, he was in a, just proudly vaulting himself up, dictating as to what God could and couldn't do. You see, God sees our heart when we come to him with this, what are you doing, God, sort of prayer. We can come from this self-righteous, um, I know better than you, God, air of superiority. That's the kind of spirit that will get rebuked by God. But when we, in our brokenness and in the midst of our suffering and pain, cry out and say, God, this isn't fair. I don't understand why I'm walking through this. Why is no one standing with me? Why am I suffering like this? Why is this cancer not going away? Why is this relationship not mended? God, I feel like you should have fixed this by now. God hears those cries. God loves that brokenhearted honesty. There's a difference between self-righteous, crying out to God, shaking your fist, and being on your knees in tears, brutally crying out to God and sharing your heart. Read the Psalms. Read Psalm 13. David was honest with God, but was never, ever rebuked by God for that kind of honesty. God, he says in, in Psalm 13, 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? That's the kind of honesty that our God longs for. Are you able to approach God like that? Or do you feel like you have to come with a mask, with some kind of a pretense, with some kind of an air of spirituality, of, of, of pretending things are okay when they're not okay? We'll never draw near to the heart of God when our heart is like that. There are a couple of things that I think that, that Jeremiah does here that are important for us to remember in our own honesty. You see, in his in his suffering and in his pain, Jeremiah clung to truth. To go back to this chapter here, Jeremiah 20, he makes several statements about God beginning in verse 11. He says, The Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They shall not overcome me. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. You see, those verses, just even those two verses, are packed with some important theological truth. He saw God as his dread warrior, as the one who took up his cause, as the one who was fighting for him. He saw God as the Lord of hosts, as one who was righteous. He turned back to the very character and nature of God, even in the midst of his pain and in his searching for truth and an understanding. Jeremiah was wrestling this, this, this gut-level, heart-wrenching, earnest prayer with God. He was, he was wrestling with God, but even in this, he clung to truth. He remembered who God was and what his character was like. You see, one of the dangers of walking through suffering is that we can wander from truth. 
That's what Job did. He began to, to forget important, crucial truths about God and who he, Job was before God, hence the rebuke. In the midst of our pain and suffering, it can be easy to wander away from what we know about God and His Word. I remember one time we were on vacation, I think we went on a spring break trip, we were either in Pigeon Forge or Gatlinburg, I can't remember which one, and the, the, uh, uh, my sister-in-law's um, family's cabin where we were staying was outside of town, and, and we were in the town, and the, the traffic was really bad, and I, I told my wife, I said, I think if we turn here, we can kind of circumvent the traffic and then get back on that main road that leads up to the cabin here. My, our phone wasn't getting good reception with all the mountains and everything, so I, I said, I'm pretty sure this will, if I turn here, this will lead me back to that road that we want. Well, it didn't. And I kept thinking, well, we'll just, we'll, we'll get there at some point. Like, we'll see that turn off to that road. Well, okay, I'm, I'm from Michigan. I live in Michigan. And we don't have these things called mountains. And there are certain roads there or when you live in the mountains that um, you have to, once you get on them, you have to go all the way around the mountain to, like, get back to the point A, you know, where you started. And all of a sudden, when our phone finally did get reception and I got the GPS going, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I am completely on the other side of the mountain from where we want to be. So it was either turn back and go the way we came or just finish, finish the scenic drive. Uh, I, I, I was getting further and further away without realizing it from where I wanted to be. In my, in my head, it made sense. In my broken, goofy GPS that was in my own mind, I thought I was doing the right thing and going the right way. You, you see, sometimes when we're in the middle of suffering, if we don't co come back I was going to say daily, but really moment by moment to what the Word of God tells us about the character and nature of God. If we're not careful, in the midst of suffering, we can wander further and further from truth. Let me just give you a simple, easy example. Uh, Romans 8 tells us that God is for us, that He is on our side. And in suffering, it can be easy to question that. Are you really for me, God? And that's fine to ask that question. It's fine. But if we continue in that line of reasoning without coming back to, God, you say that you're for me. I don't feel it right now, but you say that it is. So I'm going I'm to plant my feet on this and trust you. If we keep wandering and wandering in our suffering and our hurt, say, I don't think he's really for me. I don't see it. I don't see any evidence of this anywhere. Without coming back to truth, we begin to wander further and further. And, and really on a path to bitterness. On a path towards this deep-seated anger towards God that never lets go. Jeremiah, he came back to truth even though he was questioning God, even though he was wrestling with God. He says, listen, I know this. I know that you're one who tests the righteous. You are the Lord of hosts. You are a dread warrior. You see the heart and mind. He remembers the nature and character of God. Listen, if you're suffering this morning, if you're in the midst of a, a set of circumstances that you don't understand, a job search that doesn't seem to understand, financial difficulties that don't seem to end, battle with sin that you can't figure out, you must come back over and over again to the truth of God's Word. May say in these situations, I don't understand, I don't know much, but I do know this about you, God. This one thing I know, this one thing I am certain of, come back to the 
truth of God's word. The other thing I want, I want us to remember, I think is really powerful, is that in his suffering, Jeremiah still worshipped. Even in the midst of his pain and, and not understanding what was going on, he still carved out time to worship God. Verse 13 says, Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of the evildoers. Listen, if we wait for life to be okay before we worship, we will rarely spend time in worship. If we always wait to worship for when we feel like it, we will often not worship. There's a worship song that has the phrase, we will I'll worship in the waiting. God, I'm in this place where I don't understand. I, I don't, I, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand what you're doing. But I'm going to choose to worship you nonetheless. And then finally, I, I think this is very powerful. This chapter, and, and really, as we'll see as we go through this summary, Jeremiah's whole life um, didn't have a happy ending. There was not a fairy tale ending, as it were, for Jeremiah. Jeremiah was still not okay. He, if you read verse 13 and 14 together here, he says, Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. Cursed be the day on which I was born. <laughs> Some commentators have read that and thought that this was fragmented, that this passage was supposed to be somewhere else. Some people look at that and think Jeremiah is bipolar. Like, what in the world? I'm going to sing praise to God. Cursed be the day I was born. <laughs> what? See, Jeremiah was still in the middle of this. It didn't have this neat, tidy, happy ending. One of my struggles, <laughs> one of my struggles with a lot of the Christian movies that are out there is that you watch them and it just makes look, things look like everything goes well. Like every marriage comes back together and just fine and the in, infertile couple is able to have a baby and he gets the job promotion and it's just like everything works out hunky-dory. Everybody's happy and standing around a campfire at the end holding hands and Life's not always like that. Life's not always neat and tidy. For Jeremiah, he was still in the midst of this rejection of his people. He was still in the fire. He's choosing to worship. But it didn't mean everything was okay. One writer says, he knew that the word of God within him was the truth that he, that had to be spoken, but he railed against the fact that it had to be him stuck with the inescapable burden of delivering it. Sometimes life doesn't have a happy ending, at least the way that we think of as happy ending. Sometimes there aren't neat resolutions to the story. But even in the midst of that, Jeremiah chose to trust God. And he was honest with God. He could speak his heart before God. This morning, that's, that's my question for you. Can you be real with God? Or do you feel like you've got to put on your spiritual dress clothes, fix your hair, 
put a plastic smile on. Everything's good, God. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. You're awesome. Or can you pour out your heart when things are not all right? By way of application, I just, I just wrote three things down. The first one is this. Your heart will never be honest with God unless it trusts God. You and I will never be honest with God unless we truly deep down believe that He is for us, that His grace is enough. Do you trust the heart of God? Do you believe He's big enough to handle whatever you need to dump on Him today? Are His shoulders big enough to bear what you're going through? And especially if that's sin, especially if that's sin that you're unburdening before Him, do you believe that God has enough grace that is greater than all of your sin? Do you believe that? If you don't, we'll never be honest with God. We either will hide or we'll fake it. And neither of those are good options. Mankind has been hiding from God since the Garden of Eden. We've been faking everything's okay just as long. We, we can be experts in that. Sunday morning worship services are a great case study in that. Don't raise your hand here, but how many of you are not okay this morning? Second question, how many people here know that about you? From where I'm standing, you all look good. I mean, you, you look great out here. You look fantastic. And for many of us, we'll never know what's going inside your heart. The, the first place for that is with God. Because I promise you, he wants to know. I promise you, you will not experience the intimacy with God that you long for unless you can be real with him. Unless you can unburden yourself, including how you think perhaps he's been unfair to you. Perhaps you're struggling with a promise in the Bible. Perhaps you don't feel like he has done, dealt justly in your life. If you can't be honest with Him, you'll never experience the intimacy with Him that all of us so desperately need and so desperately long for. So long as I fear His disapproval, I will never have the courage to tell Him exactly what's on my mind. How many of us growing up did something wrong? And we're afraid to tell our parents because we feared the consequences. We feared what they would say. We feared their anger. We feared the discipline. So often we take that same fear into our relationship with God. If he knows what's really going on, if I tell him how I really feel, what I really think, he may never talk to me again. 
I have a news flash for you. <laughs> he already knows. <laughs> he already knows. So why not tell him about it? Why not be honest? If you are his child, he will never turn you away. We may have had earthly parents who rejected us. We may have had earthly parents where that fear of disapproval was real. It was warranted. But our God is not like that. Our God never runs out of grace. Our God will never turn away a child with an honest, broken heart. Do you believe that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward you? And that as far as the east is, far, is from the west, that's how far He removes our transgressions from us. Do you believe that? Really, deep down, believe that? Being honest with God Secondly, though, means that at some point, we would do well to shut up and listen. It's great, we've been saying, pour out your heart before God, but then take time to just be still and listen for His voice. Open your word and say, okay, God, you've heard what I've had to say. What do you want to say to me? And be willing to listen. And then finally, as you know, I love to point us back to Jesus Christ. Look to the honest heart of Jesus. One writer says, like Jeremiah, Jesus wrestled profoundly and personally with the terrifying implications of his mission in the wilderness after his baptism and in the mysterious agony of Gethsemane. Whereas such wrestling led Jeremiah to words of accusation and rejection, it led Jesus to words of trust and submission to his Father and to forgiveness of his enemies. Whereas Jeremiah wished he'd never been born to live the life he did, Jesus knew that he had been born to give the life he had as a sacrifice for us. For in the greatest contrast of all, Jesus did not dream of losing his life in order to avoid his mission like Jeremiah but chose rather to lay down his life in order to fulfill God's mission. Hebrews tells us to consider Jesus. Our Savior could be brutally honest with the Father. He wrestled with the realities of life in this world and the pain that comes from this world full of sin. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was executed by the Nazis, scribbled on a note while in the Nazi prison camp, only the suffering God can help. You see, at the end of the day, what we need is not warm pats on the back from friends, simple well wishes that everything will be okay. What what can get us through is knowing that we have a Savior who walked the same path that we're walking, has experienced temptations, has experienced rejection, disappointment, hurt, loss, physical suffering, all of it. And yet He walked the path perfectly, and He went to the cross 
to bear our sins and rose again conquering death and giving victory to all those who will trust him. Knowing that we have a Savior who has done that and who has paved the way so that we can boldly go into the throne room of grace gives us hope. You see, there may not be a a nice bow on the end of our suffering and our trials and our circumstances. There may not be a neat and tidy resolution to this story. But the victory that Christ has won on the cross reveals that our hope for a happy ending does not lie here in this life and on this earth. Our hope for victory lies in Him, in the resurrection, and on celebrating that victory throughout all eternity with Jesus Christ. This morning, I don't know what you're going through, but I want to tell you this. You can be honest with God. He can handle it. And He is trustworthy. He is good. You may not get the answer that you're looking for. And you certainly may not get it in the time frame you're looking for. But we can rest in Him. The one who loves us. We can draw near and trust His heart. But we must have honest hearts. I just want to pray for us. And if there's something on your heart that is just burdening you and you feel like, I just need to be honest with God with this and you want to spend some time in prayer, I just want to invite you to come on up and, and pray. If you want someone to pray with you, we'd be more than happy to do that. But if God's speaking to you, I want to encourage you not to just head on your way too quickly. Linger and spend some time with him. Spend some time pouring your heart out with him. If we can help or encourage you in any way, we would, we would love to do that even here this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us the example of Jeremiah. This reminder that we don't have to play games with you. We don't have to pretend everything's fine when things are not fine. We don't have to put on false fronts and come with pretense. We, we, don't, have to, we don't have to lie. We can stop running, stop living the lie. We can turn to you. God, I pray that each of us that you would give each of us the words to be honest with you this morning. God, if my brothers or sisters here this morning feel like they're suffering unjustly and they're hurt, if they feel like they've been praying and heaven has been silent, if they don't understand, if they feel like they've been mistreated, Lord, I pray that we would be able to cry out before you. Lord God, I want to pray especially for those who are struggling with sin this morning and have been maybe okay with confessing just parts of their sin or have tried to dress it up as not so bad before you, oh God. May you just break down all of those all of those walls, all of those hiding places, and may we come before you and pour out our heart in honesty. Not only sharing what's on our heart, but 
confessing the sin that we might be hiding. Oh, Lord God, you long for us to be in the light. You long for us to dwell near to the one who is the light of the world. May we stop hiding, stop playing games, and be willing to be honest and broken before you. And God, I thank you that you have grace. Oh, you have more grace than any of us here realize. Grace to see us through. Grace to heal. Grace to forgive. May we trust your heart, oh God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd love to pray with you. Have a great week.